Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. We're your community radio station at WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you from here in the historic Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM. We also live stream, so you can take us with us on your holiday travels. You can check us out anytime at forwardradio.org. You'll also find archives of all of our local programs there, podcast versions of them at forwardradio.org. And while you're there in this holiday season of giving, why don't you chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air and going strong in 2023. We rely entirely on listener support to keep this little station coming along and you can support us with any pledge of any amount at uh, FordRadio.org and we also rely entirely on volunteers. So maybe you want to make a New Year's resolution for 2023 to get more involved in your community or maybe be a megaphone for an issue in your community that you're passionate about. Forward Radio is the place for you. We would love to put you behind these microphones and put you to work in informing our community, being a citizen journalist. We, we need more of that in our community, and you can do it here at forwardradio.org. Just click on participate and let us know how you want to get involved. Uh, what we do each week on Sustainability Now is pulling people from around the community for community conversations about sustainability. I love it when I get multiple guests, and I filled all the microphones today with a whole bunch of people for our part two of our conversation this week about the LG&E pipeline proposal for bullet County. Last week, we heard a lot about the details about what the impacts of this proposal could be on Bernheim Arboretum and the surrounding landowners. Today, we're going to step back. Well, maybe the eagle's going to fly a little higher and talk about some <laughs> broader issues of the pipeline and climate change uh, with my guest today uh, in the studio with me. Returning, he's been here many times. Wallace McMullen is back. He wears many hats in our community, a strong environmental advocate. But he was one of the founding members of PPL Shareholders for Economic Democracy. Welcome, Wallace. Thank you. Thank you. You want to quickly, before I introduce everybody else, mention what that group does, PPL shareholders? Well, we are hard at work trying to get a resolution on the next shareholder ballot mm. with a next annual corporation shareholder meeting. And we generally would like to see LG&E be a lot more interested in serving the public interest right, right. and recognizing climate change and their impact on the environment. But especially we think they just don't seem to get it when it comes to the public interest. Yeah. And this pipeline through Bernheim is one example of yeah. ignoring the public interest from our perspective. So you've been trying to create a little change from within by becoming shareholders of PPL, yeah. which is the parent company, the multinational parent company of LG&E, right? And, and try and do some shareholder activism. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. We try. Okay. And actually, the SEC rules have made it harder. It used to be you only had to own $2,000 worth of stock to file a resolution. Now that's been changed under the Trump years to 20000 before you can oh file a resolution. We are very fortunate in that some large national religious organizations own that much, and we are working with the National Unitarian Universalist Association. To, oh, really? To, we've got this resolution filed. Wow. And we haven't heard yet if the SEC will rule it as proper and correct. Okay. <laughs> if we can get it on the shareholder ballot next spring, we will be delighted. Wow, that's exciting. We're already diving deep into this, and I haven't finished introductions. But speaking of religious organizations, I want to welcome into the studio Reverend Elisa Owen, Executive Director of Kipple, the Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light. Welcome. Thanks, Justin. And it's great to be here with you. Yes. You are a reverend of what church? I am ordained in the Presbyterian Church, the PCUSA. 
And, and tell us a little bit about Kipple. Well, Kipple was founded by someone who thought that religious faith meant that we automatically had to be concerned about the planet, concerned about climate care, and that traditionally religious faiths have been kind of the conscience of the community. Mm -hmm. We all acknowledge that there are people of good conscience and good faith that may sure. not claim a faith, sure. right? But at the same time, traditionally people of faith have been kind of the conscience of the, of the community. And so that's the reason why our tagline is mobilizing a religious response to climate change. Perfect. And it's perfect to have you here on this show about just that. And you can learn more about Kipple at KentuckyIPL.org. Uh, also in the studio, I'm happy to make a new friend I've never met before, Danica Novgorodov. She is an artist, writer, and mother of young kids who's been involved in protesting Wall Street's financing of fossil fuel extraction with uh, 350 Brooklyn mm -hmm. uh, and Sunrise Kids, also the part branch of the Sunrise Movement for parents with small children. Uh, she's also working on a graphic novel about youth climate activists and is on the board of uh, the Kofan Survival Fund, which supports the indigenous Kofan people in the Ecuadorian Amazon to protect their million acres of rainforest from mining and oil production. And right here in Louisville, she's recently joined KFTC's Energy Justice Group. Welcome, Danica. Thank you. Hi. Hi. It's good to have you. I know you're new to it, but you want to briefly touch about what KFTC is doing? Um, sure. It's it's a new working group within KFTC, and <clears throat> we're looking at energy justice issues like um, you know getting accessible and affordable energy to different neighborhoods and people who need it, and um, also looking at LG&E and their impact in the community. Awesome. So there is there is lots of different angles that people are working on these things. You can learn more at kftc.org. Um, so. Danica, you're in the unique position of having lived on Bernheim property, yes. right? Yes. Uh, about six years ago. You want to tell us about that? Uh, yes. I was a writer in residence through oh, Saraband cool. Books and Bernheim. Both were um, hosting me there. And so I spent, um, yeah, it was about six weeks living in a cabin in, in the middle of the winter um, in December and January. And it was beautiful and quiet. And wow. I feel like I got to know every single trail and really fell in love with that place. Wow. Uh, now, I know that the property that they want to put the pipeline through is generally not open to the public, but is it a place that you got to explore at all? No, I've, I haven't been all the way back there. I mostly yeah. just explored that front area that's open to people. But certainly in exploring Bernheim in general, you've come to realize what an ecologically important place mm -hmm. this is in our region. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's really not a lot of really large areas of forest that are intact. Intact, yeah. 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 So we, we covered a lot of the basics last week about what's going on here, what what LGE is doing. Uh, but if anybody wants to kick us off talking about just the status of this project and how it relates to your concerns, I mean, maybe Wallace, you're the best person to kick us off on that discussion. Uh, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although in some ways what LGE is asking for is I call I think is a very poorly conceived basically transfer of public resources right. to a private profit making company. But LGE had a contractor study this thing which came up with ten other routes that they could really? choose which are available from this unique and sensitive area. Uh, which has 
not only unique biological resources as you hinted at, but it's got floodplains, yeah. innumerable sinkholes, yeah. areas of new Albany shale that can release acid draining, mm. landslide areas, and there will be impacts to aquifers, groundwater, springs, and wells that many residents depend on yeah. for potable drinking water. Right. So it is indeed a darn sensitive area. And this pipeline proposal has produced a thicket of litigation, basically. <laughs> a thicket of litigation, that's a good way to put it. There's three major areas each one of which is surprisingly complex. <laughs> There's course. the matter of um, LGE wants land condemnation. They right. want to exercise eminent domain and destroy a conservation easement. Well, who knew? I only learned yesterday that a part of this Kentucky state government, the Kentucky Heritage Land Conservation Agency, donated like $700,000 to help buy this corridor. Oh, really? Okay. They are sending an attorney to fight the eminent really? domain. So huh. in some ways we have two parts of the state government fighting each, <laughs> each other. other. <laughs> and that's one. And then there's all the stuff with the Clean Water Act and endangered species. I mean, I can go into that in a bit more detail, but... There's like 12 endangered species in this uh, area, and Center for Biological Diversity has filed some wonderful litigation that has stalled all of those environmental permits. Wow. And then there's the fact that in order to do a um, what's now apparently an $80 million project, you have to get authorization from the Public Service Commission, because this is a regulated utility. And the correct authorization is called a Certificate of Public Convenience and Necessity. I tend to call it just the Certificate of Public Need for Mm. shorthand, but Certificate of Public Convenience and Necessity. Well, I found out that they really never properly applied (laughs) for that. Oh, wow. They got a statement out of the Public Service Commission that the authorization was acceptable as part of the stuff they filed in their 2016 rate increase application. But they never properly applied for the Certificate of Public Need. That seems a little sloppy. um, (laughs) They had a confidentiality order going on the proceedings of that 2016 rate case. (laughs) And so the lawyers didn't find out that this thing was never properly applied for until 2017. Wow. So now there's a whole bunch of litigation about was the um, appeal to try to make them get a proper application put in. Well, the utility says it wasn't timely because it wasn't within 30 days of the uh, rape case order, but it was secret. And there was no way anybody could file. Wow. And so I can't begin to tell you where all these cases have bounced back and forth between the the initial circuit court, the appeals court, and the yeah. state Supreme Court. Just that certificate issue with the Public Service Commission has bounced through every level of the courts. The environmental appeals have bounced through every wow. level of the courts. Wow. And even the land condemnation issue has been back and forth between circuit court, appeals court, and federal court. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a thicket of legal cases, <laughs> you know, with three major channels, and it, uh, to some extent they impact each other, but each one of it has its own complexities. None of them are settled. I, I think it's going to be real interesting to see LG&E trying to tell the attorney representing the Kentucky Heritage Lands Conservation Issue that their conservation easement is worthless right. and the court should throw it out. Right. Which has a negative effect on conservation easements for any Everywhere, purpose throughout right? the yeah, state. Yeah, it's you not know? just about this one I place. Mean, that's just one issue. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, there is a timeliness. There's a there's a court case coming up on January 10th, right, where yeah. LGE is taking Bernheim to court to condemn their property, and uh, so they are hoping that people will show up uh, to pack that court with uh, concern. And uh, there's continuing protests right here in Louisville too. I wanted to remind folks that you can join Friday, January 6th at noon in front of LGE uh, at 220 West Main Street, uh, and there's also, of course, an online petition uh, that folks can sign at bernheim.org slash forest under threat they're also seeking donations for their land protection fund to help pay their legal fees and you can always donate at bernheim.org uh, they're hoping people will write a letter to ppl and to lg &E, and we'll put uh, reminders about all this in the show notes of this program in a podcast on the podcast version at forwardradio.org there's a lot of reasons for people to protest this, right? Yeah, <laughs> so we're talking today about some of the larger issues around the LG&E uh, pipeline proposal for Bullock County that will impact Bernheim. Uh, you just heard from my guest today, uh, Wallace McMullen, but we also have Danica Novgorodov and Alisa uh, Owen here in the studio with me. Alisa, can you talk about what this looks like from a faith-based perspective and how Kipple's been getting involved? Sure. We got involved because if we are about mobilizing a religious response to climate change, then we have to act locally when there is something being done that is not what we would have done globally, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so a new pipeline, just for example, okay, I can give you a couple of quick examples of how this is not what we want to see happening. The International Energy Agency put out a report that's kind of like steps across a creek, right? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. To try to figure out how we get to net zero in mm. 2050, right? Mm. And they said three things that stood out to me, although they have a lot of points in there. Um, the three things that stood out to me was, number one, if we're going to get to net zero by 2050, they say we cannot have any new fossil fuel infrastructure after 2021. Right. And I don't have to tell anybody it's, it's 2022. 2022. <laughs> <laughs> so, and soon will be 2023. Exactly. So Let's this... stop already. Enough. And, by the way, this is related but not the same thing. LG&E just proposed two new natural gas power plants at the Public Service Commission. Oh. We don't need those either. Wow. Both of them are over 600 megawatts. And so the utility has a lot of issues in yeah. explaining to consumers, it seems to me, as to why they haven't considered a lot of other options before they've jumped to natural gas, both in the case of this pipeline right? Yeah. Jim Beam is building a biogas plant on their property. If we want to use gas for industrial uses, then there are plenty of room for more biogas yeah. power plants. So Kipple is making this connection, right, between globally what the International Energy Agency is saying, don't have any new fossil fuel infrastructure. 
It's 2022, yeah. soon to be 2023. <laughs> so we want to be able to speak to the utility about if you're going to do new fossil fuel infrastructure, have you considered all other possible options, right? Because right? all of us know it's complicated, right. right? In terms of dispatching energy and having baseload power, it's complicated, yeah. right? But we still want to talk about are there any other options before we jump to more fossil fuels, right? And I want to say it is eminently possible to keep reliable electricity flowing without building billions of dollars worth of new fossil fuel burning generation, as lg has just announced. I mean, we wake up to that's the front page story in today's newspaper. Mm -hmm. right. lg e wants to spend well over, I think it's going to be about $1.8 billion to wow. finance all of the stuff that they just announced they want to do, wow. which is not consistent with the last planning document they filed <laughs> with the Public Service Commission. But... It is. It's fossil fuel. It's going in the wrong direction. I mentioned that my colleagues and I are concerned about their lack of interest in the public interest. And to me, this announcement of that they have decided they want to do 1,200 megawatts of new fossil fire generation is definitely irresponsible and going in the wrong direction. And I wanted to also mention, I and Reverend Owen have sat through hours of talking with LGE about how we might do efficiency instead of burning there you go. more yeah. fossil fuel. And as I remember it, they said, we're proposing the most wonderful new program of efficiency we've ever offered, and it'll um, cover about 30 megawatts worth of uh, supply and uh, curtailing the demand. Right. And in the newspaper we read, Oh, they proposed a 200-megawatt program, and I don't think they ever told us that in huh. the hours of meetings we sat through. Huh. I don't recall exactly, but I know that I wasn't impressed with the amount of capacity that the DSM was going to cover when we were doing the... And I wasn't impressed that there was a plan for how much capacity needed to be replaced yeah. with efficiency efforts. And huh. so the International Energy Agency, in addition to saying no new fossil fuel infrastructure, has also said the future's electric. And the future has to be electric because that's how you connect the grid to renewable energy, right? Yeah, it's easy and way, so, yeah. And so a new pipeline through Bernheim Forest isn't electric, <laughs> right? So that's the second reason, and this is the second way that we're like, duh, we're connecting the local to the global, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thirdly, the International Energy Agency report says... We do not have in our pathway to net zero by 2050, we do not have any carbon sinks, right? Oh. So we are not planting trees to try to offset carbon that's going into the air. So what that means is there's no way out. We're in a conundrum. We've put ourselves in this conundrum of human beings. We, we need to actually cut the power that we've relied on for two centuries now. Yeah. And that is, there's no way out of it yeah. because the International Energy Agency says we cannot rely on offsets. Mm. And so for those three reasons, because we actually have to cut the fossil fuels, this pipeline won't 
help us at all. And we need to, because of these global imperatives, locally, we've got to hold our monopoly utility that is gets its monopoly so that it can serve the city and serve the citizens. We need to hold them accountable for paying attention to what very, very learned people, this is a peer-reviewed study at the International sure. Energy Agency, have said, look, we really have to start planning for this. Yeah. And so I don't want LG&E to determine what their generation needs are without the input of the public yeah. and without being totally transparent as to what they have considered, have they considered all the options, and this is the last possible thing. And I don't buy that they have at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to bring Danica back into this because all of what we're talking about here speaks to like the power of money, right? The power of investments. And this is why mm -hmm. you've been active in in protesting Wall Street's funding of fossil fuel projects. Like these projects wouldn't happen right, if right. there weren't people investing, which means I'm willing to make money off of future suffering, basically, right? Right, yeah, and, and this is um, completely related because um, the what we targeted when I lived in New York um, through fi 350 Brooklyn was protesting against the Wall Street, um, the big banks and the investment management um, corporations like BlackRock, Chase Bank, Citibank, Bank of America, who are the biggest funders of fossil fuel extraction and demanding that they stop investing in, in new fossil fuel extraction projects especially, but you know, overall they need to start putting their money toward renewable energy and stop, yeah, just stop stop taking that fossil fuel out of the ground. <laughs> and have you done anything in your own life to try and divest? Well, I did, I did move my money out of Chase Bank. Um, I made a little video of myself cutting, cutting up my card. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, with my, with my two little kiddos watching. Oh, neat. And um, I moved to Amalgamated Bank, which is known to be, it, you know, it's def, it's, it might be the only, you know, definitely certified green bank, I huh. think, um, that, you know, it's one of their mission statements is to not invest in, in climate, in deforestation and um, climate chaos and, um, and fossil fuels. So I, I did move my own personal money, which is a tiny, tiny drop right, in the right, bucket. Right. But, you know, as, as, a, as a small example to, yeah. to say, you know, it can be done. It's kind of a pain yeah. <laughs> to do, but, oh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's worth it and uh, made me feel good. <laughs> yeah. And of course, so yeah. many of us have our like retirements or right. some sort of retirement plan that our employer offers. And very often there's sort of no one paying attention there. No one like... Mm -hmm really asking tough questions about where where's our retirement money going right no yeah i, I do i've been working with um a financial investment um advisor and i told him I, really for going forward i do not want to put any money in in fossil fuels you know just yeah. try to keep it out of that yeah yeah, yeah. it's t it, they, they, again they're intentionally like hiding this information from us right it's and tricky yeah it's tough to know sometimes but it's important to be you know we, we all think about being an informed consumer right well you know we have to be informed vest investors just as much it's even more important i would say in a lot of ways right. and the institutions and and groups that we belong to you know pushing you know our churches um yeah. our, you know, our schools, universities, cities um, to divest. And churches have been doing that through Kipple, right? 
have been divesting? Well, this is the thing, and, and I don't know. They have not. The PCUSA has not divested. Oh. Now, I have been working through Kipple <laughs> with the PCUSA, being in touch with them, um, encouraging them to hold to use their investment to hold PPL okay. accountable. Okay, the shareholder advocacy. Right, and right? so, yeah. so when the PCUSA decides that it's best to divest rather than to command an audience with the yeah. top leadership of PPL, yeah. is their decision to make. But I know that many grassroots folks in the Presbyterian Church have been like Danica and said, just divest. Yeah. But yeah. if we're going to hold the shares, there is a thing at the PCUSA called the Mission Responsibility Through Investment Arm. And I've been in touch with those folks about um, what we can do together to make sure that PCUSA is encouraging LG&E to be responsive to the stakeholders, not just customers, not just large industrial customers, but people who are concerned about the fact that 75% of climate problem is caused by the energy sector. Yeah. And, and they've been effective. The PCUSA and the Unitarian Association joined together and got PPL to issue a report that kind of revealed some more of how bad their planning is. <laughs> um, that came out just like a week ago. Right, and that report actually was another thing that the International Energy Agency says we have to do, right? So this is another locally based effort trying to get us to do that, which is we've got to have milestones between now and 2050. We can't hope for a miracle, but we've got to, we've got to, you know, innovation is a big deal and hopefully we will get some help by some innovative ways to use renewable energy by 2050. And so yes, invest there, yeah. but don't yeah. expect to be bailed out from the need to cut. Yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, a wonderful milestone would be if uh, LG&E announced they were going to cancel this pipeline and put that money into um, a solar investment. There you go. Um, and what the people uh, want. Or a biogas digester. Or a biogas digester, yeah. Yeah, or, I mean, geothermal is another viable technology, although I don't know how good it is in Kentucky. We don't seem to be close to the hot rocks underground. Yeah, for like making electricity, no. But for baseload heating and cooling of buildings, we do it at the Gold House right here in downtown. We do it at the Student Rec Center at U of L. I mean, it's definitely a, a feasible alternative for reducing a building's energy consumption, for sure, yeah. Um, but, so really, we just need to, um, in some way, raise a hue and cry that gets through to the top floors of LG&E headquarters, yeah, yeah. that what they're doing is highly undesirable and the community doesn't like it. Yeah. And, um, and, and not a wise investment. Really. Right. right. Like, even just from financially. <laughs> well, you know, that's the other thing. We've had um, some politicians in Kentucky talk about how 
green investing or you know they call it woke investing and it's not good and we're not going to let we're going to take Kentucky's pensions and we're going to put it in non-woke pension <laughs> <Yeah>. funds <laughs> and it's like please don't do that if I'm if I'm a teacher in yeah, Kentucky really. or a mm. police person or any of those things because I want my investments to be good investments and the truth of the matter is is that investments in fossil fuel are not long-term good investments because yeah. we got to make a switch. Mm -hmm. Right. No, no, it gets started talking about stranded investments. Exactly. Um, coal power plants that are only halfway through their life, yeah. but they're emitting huge quantities of CO2 and they need to be shut down. And so you get into conversations about how can you do bonding at the best interest rate to close them down? Mm. Um, mm. Uh, that kind of thing. And I think there's a very good chance that if they succeed in building this uh, 1,200 megawatts of coal-fired generation I'm talking about, those plants may very well be stranded investments in 10 years. Yeah, um, absolutely. As the public outcry against burning fossil fuels becomes only stronger. We're talking today about LGE's proposal to put a pipeline through Bullock County uh, and through Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest. Uh, this is part two of the conversation. If you didn't hear last week's conversation, check out our archives at FordRadio.org. That was a really wonderful conversation with uh, Mark Warms, executive director of Bernheim, Kimberly Brown, who's a neighboring landowner, and and the mother of Danica, Deborah Novgorodov, was also here in studio talking about citizen action around this issue and the direct impacts uh, that that this proposal might have on this very special place. Today we're taking a broader look at some of the issues around climate change and wise investments, right? Um, so, Wallace, you, you said this was a thorny thicket. Um, there's a few things I'd like to tease out of the thicket. Okay. Was there ever any attention to having an environmental impact statement? The answer I've gotten on that is that environmental impact statements are required under the National Environmental Policy Act when there's federal funding involved. Oh. And um, for whatever reason, this isn't considered to have the appropriate kind of federal funding huh. involved. I mean, so the I state doesn't require them? No, state doesn't oh, require them. Okay. Um, and although apparently there was some federal funds involved in the purchase of the land, I can't explain to you why, but the Environmental Policy Act has not been invoked and there has not been a requirement for an environmental impact statement okay but there's plenty of other kinds of permits <laughs> okay yeah and i, I want to ask you about um some some are arguing that it's most likely that this case will be won around the issue of the center for biodiversity they've filed notice of intent to sue both the army corps of engineers and the u.s fish and wildlife service right about their environmental assessments uh being insufficient i will let me explain that that, uh, that again there's one uh, there's three channels here yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the um land condemnation and uh, conservation easement channel there's all the clean air uh, no clean water act yeah. stuff that we're about to talk about in some detail yeah and then there's the very messy history at the public service commission right but in order to plow this pipeline through the uh, numerous streams and sensitive lands, they do have to get what's called a 401 water certification permit. And the Environmental Cabinet Division of Water has mostly ruled in the favor of LGE 
disappointingly so, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. That's why I think maybe we should be trying to pound on the governor's door and mm. say, get your environmental cabinet to protect the environment. <laughs> um, so vision, no water issued a permit. That was appealed. There was a lengthy hearing. The hearing officer recommended that um, LG&E get approval. That recommendation then unfortunately was approved and concurred in by the environmental cabinet secretary, mm. which frankly puzzles me. Yeah. Now that happened during the Trump administration, okay. which was taking kind of a dour opinion towards yeah. the Clean Water Act issues. Yeah. And then the Center for Biological Diversity got involved and filed litigation that says, in order to issue the certification, you have to have an appropriate biological opinion approved by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And the uh, Center for Biological Diversity's litigation was powerful enough that U.S. Fish and Wildlife decided that they didn't like the biological opinion, wanted it to be re-examined and essentially done over, and I think this requiring an appropriate inventory of endangered bat species uh -huh. and other endangered species. So now that biological opinion is being reworked without the concurrence of fish and wildlife. The Army Corps of Engineers won't issue the permit that is required from them. Okay. That's the status as I understand okay. it, Justin. All right. <laughs> and, and you can see why I say it's rather complicated. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, you touched on, like, you know, the, the Environment Cabinet. And, of course, you know, I, this seems connected to the fact that Bashir is really not acknowledging climate change as something urgent. And isn't that really part of the problem here, that our some of our top leaders aren't even acknowledging that there's a problem? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, some of them, in fact kind of vigorously going the other way. Yeah. I've heard Representative Jim Gooch complain that people worship at the altar of climate change. <laughs> we wish Look, we didn't have to. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, I think my grandchildren are going to be victims of the fact that we're on the highway to environmental hell with their foot on the accelerator. Yeah. Is this, That's a um, great way to put it. United Nations leader. Yeah. observed. Mm -hmm. and that's the way it is. And good God, we've had a terrible tornado. We've had terrible flooding in just this state. We had wildfire season like I've never seen before last year out west. A third of Pakistan is underwater yeah, from flooding. Yeah. And it goes on and on in the climate danger. Yeah. Well, I understand for a Democratic governor that it's difficult to emphasize things like climate. That said, climate is not partisan and should not be partisan yeah. because the fact is, and you can't change the facts, the facts are that 99.999% of scientists agree that we've got climate change and we've got it happening because human beings are making changes to the climate with fossil fuels, burning fossil fuels. Yeah. So what I would say is that, like Governor Bashir was so responsible when we had COVID and was really saying, look, this virus is not partisan, yeah. I would encourage he and his administration to say, 
climate change isn't partisan. It's something that people in Mayfield know we're going to have to deal with, people in the East know we're going to have to deal with, and the way we address it is to first admit that it exists and say it's a big issue, yeah. and then say we got to work together to get stuff done about it. Mm. And I think he's up to doing that. Mm. I really do, and I would like to see it done. Yeah. Danica, as a mother of young kids, can you speak directly to how this issue of climate change, which we gets politicized and uh, gets theoretical and gets, you know, legalized, <laughs> why this is so personally important to you? Well, I mean, yeah, for anyone who um, cares about, you know, your children, your grandchildren, other people's children, <laughs> other people's <laughs> grandchildren, you know, the future of the human species, it's terrifying. You know, I don't I don't want my children to be facing um, mass migration and starvation and floods and hurricanes and, you know, the, the destruction of food systems and so on and so forth. And I mean, really, 2050 is not that far away when you when you think about, you know, with this, it's this generation. It's, you know, that's hopefully within my lifetime, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, and certainly if everything goes OK in, in my children's lifetime. Yeah. So it's it's really frightening at how quickly things are, are changing and progressing and um, how quickly things could go wrong if yeah. we don't deal with this immediately. I mean, we should have dealt with it 10, 20, 30 years ago when mm -hmm. we already knew about these problems. Um, but, you know, it's too late to, to change things 30 years ago, so we, should, we, need, to, we need to change things now. And, and how do you talk about these kinds of things with your kids or children in general? I mean, you're writing a book for kids, right? So yeah. how, do, how do you speak to these very scary things. Well, my kids are a little bit too young to yeah. understand the issues. They're only three and five. Yeah. Um, but I do take them to protests, and they do listen. They pick things up, you know, <laughs> as we go, yeah. and they come to meetings and stuff like that um, just to kind of tag along. And with them, you know, I take them for hikes. I, I introduce them to nature, and I hope they'll love nature as much as I do, and yeah. I hope they'll love people, <laughs> you know, <and> the, <laughs> as much as I do. And, and so to, to care about things and to, you know, have a garden and that kind of thing, so mm -hmm. to really have that connection with, with the world. You know, for a little bit older kids, you can kind of introduce the issue in, in terms of specific local issues like um, access to food in our community or, you know, access to energy, um, that kind of thing. And then the book that I'm working on is a collaboration with climate journalist Mira Subramanian. And so she's helping, she's writing the, writing the book and I'm drawing it. Oh, wow. Um, and we kind of conceptualized it together oh, and so this is a book for um, young adults so high school age and up and in this book we really go deeply into the issues of what is climate change and what are the different factors you know talking about species loss and talking about eco grief mm -hmm. and talking about all the different lenses to look look at climate change including uh, religion and spirituality and yeah. connection to the world but we're, we're looking at it through the lens of four climate activists who are youth and so it's personalized it's telling their personal stories and it's inspiring so yeah. it, it gives kids a way to say, okay, there's a lot that's wrong, but um, there's a lot of ways to take action and to be involved and to not fall into a pit of despair yeah. <laughs> over this issue, which can also be easy to do, unfortunately. But I think the best way to deal with that kind of anxiety is to, you know, join a community and take action. Yeah. Well, do you know when your book's coming out or what it's called? Um, it's, it's called so It's called A Better World Is Possible. Oh. 
and I don't know yet when it's yeah. coming out because I'm just in the early phases of yeah. drawing it. Okay. <laughs> so it'll what, probably be a couple of years. Approximately what ages are the young characters in the book? Uh, well, when we started working on it, they were late teens, and now they're they're, yeah. all, they're all past 18 now. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's taking a while to create. Yeah. Well, you know, we've we've expressed like how troubling this fossil fueled future is, and what's always so frustrating to me is how entirely unnecessary it all is. We've we've spoken to the fact that we have the technology mm-hmm. to power our future without fossil fuels. It's simply we're not making the choice. We're simply allowing people to continue to profit off of destruction, right, and suffering, and this just seems so wrong, so fundamentally unjust and just un- just un- the unnecessarity of it all is just so frustrating. Uh, Wallace, we're running out of time, and I don't know if there were other legal issues you still wanted to touch on that maybe we didn't we didn't have time to get to. I, I, if people understand that there are these sort of three major buckets: eminent domain, environmental permits, and the screw ups at the Public Service Commission. Okay, <laughs> I think that's the major takeaway. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate: darn it, this monopoly utility should have a strong standard of public service, and it seems like they're doing anything mm. but public mm. service with their determination to bury us with more fossil fuel burning. Yeah. yeah. So it I is, guess that's my theme. Okay. Climate change is coming. Public service says get out of fossil fuels. Hey, utility. <laughs> get started on this process. Stop fighting us every step of the way. Yeah. There you go. In our last minute, does anyone else have anything else that, that was burning they were hoping to talk about and didn't get to say yet? Or any last reasons why people should get involved? I would say get involved because it's the most hopeful thing to do, yeah. right? Yeah. If you hear the things that could happen, right. if we don't make changes and you curl up in a ball on the floor, <laughs> um, I get that, but 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 we're really not going to get there where yeah. we need to get. And, and we'll give you the grace to do that for a day or two, but then we, <laughs> we need you right. to get out of bed. We need you to active. come out on Fridays, We need and we need you to think about it in terms of what can I do right here in our backyard, right? And Kipple is a faith response. So we can't mount a response to climate change without hope in there. And so that's what I love about your book. And that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time to join me today, but for being in this fight, this important fight in all the different ways that you are. It seems like we've just in these two shows, we've really got a lot of community coming together around this issue and the fight against the pipeline. And I guess the sort of silver lining way I look at it is that unfortunately, I think it's going to take these kinds of crises to draw in a lot of people to try and change the way we do things around here. Like business as usual is kind of easy to skate along with. But when we see something like the proposal to put a pipeline through Burnham <laughs> that nobody needs, uh, it suddenly it's like, oh, there yeah. we do need to rise up against this, right? And so thank you all so much for doing this work. Thank, well, thank you. you for hosting. You bet. And I would just say it has been heartening to see how the environmental community has come alive. Yeah. And is being active on this. And obviously, we encourage all listeners to join that uh, noon protest on January 6th. And yeah. Make a trip to the courthouse if they want to on January 10th. That's right. And they can talk to Kipple or they can buy two shares of PPL <laughs> stock there and you join go. shareholders for economic democracy. 
They can buy Danica's book. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so many ways to get engaged in the new year. Thank you again, so everybody. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you. Stay tuned. Coming up in just a second, I've got your community action calendar, so don't miss it. Even this week, there's plenty to do to get engaged in sustainability, so stay tuned. While the sun shines bright on my whole Kentucky home, tis summer and the people are gay. And the corn tops rise while the meadows are in bloom. Them birds are making music all the day. Said we. And we're back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Margay. Hope you got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out. Yeah, it's the very last week of 2022. Let's end it on a high note for sustainability, eh? And get prepared for a 2023, a new year of sustainability. Not too much going on in our community this week, but a few things I want to mention. Just to remind you that now through December 30th, Gardens A Glimmer, a benefit for Waterfront Botanical Gardens, is happening at the gardens there at 1435 Frankfurt Avenue. That's the very northern end of Frankfurt Avenue, right near River Road. You can enjoy a sparkling winter wonderland of swans, snowflakes, deer, Moravian stars, oversized flowers, light burst candles, and a multicolored tunnel of lights. Wander the gardens under icicle arches and over a waterfall stream aglow. Holiday beverages will be available for purchase in the Jingle All the Way Cafe. No outside food or drink or pets or smoking or vaping is allowed inside the gardens. You can learn more and purchase your tickets for Gardens A Glimmer at waterfrontgardens.org. It runs through December 30th. Also want to remind you that Falls City Community Bike Works is your cooperative for the people, by the people bike shop here in Louisville, as you learned about recently on this program. And they have open shop hours this week, Wednesday, December 28th, from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., at 1217 Logan Street. They're also open Sundays from 1 to 4 uh, at the Falls City Community Bike Works Open Shop. You'll have access to bike repair advice and instruction from experienced mechanics. It's all free. Access to bicycle-specific tools and supplies. Uh, a great selection of used and new bike parts and supplies available for purchase at reasonable prices. And open and welcoming community to share skills, knowledge, and experiences with bike enthusiasts from diverse backgrounds. Open shop services are always free, but donations are welcome, of course. Uh, and they are able to offer this thanks to funding through Louisville Metro and their previous dues uh, system and annual membership model are no longer active. So it's open to everybody and you can come on out this Wednesday, December 28th, 630 to 9:30 to get that bike fixed up for the new year. More at FCCbikeworks.org. Also, a reminder that the Bardstown Road Farmer's Market is year-round every Saturday. During the winter, they're open from 10 a.m. to noon, and they'll be open this Saturday, December 31st, 10 a.m. to noon, in Deer Park Baptist Church, 
at 1733 Bardstown Road. Since 1991, the original Bardstown Road Farmer's Market has hosted almost 30 vendors every week, offering a diverse, high-quality selection of locally grown and locally made products. The mission is not only to provide a fun and diverse place to shop in Louisville, but to also support local agriculture through awareness and consumer education. They take pride in providing a marketplace and support for a strong, self-supporting community of local farmers and consumers, which has grown into the most popular market in the Louisville area. Farm fresh, locally grown products include seasonal fruits and vegetables, cut flowers and potted plants, pastured beef, pork, lamb, poultry, bison, sausage, and eggs, farmstead fresh cheeses from cow, goat, and sheep's milk, baked goods, pastries, granola, and other prepared foods, omelets made to order, jams, jellies, and salsas, fresh local honey, and so much more. The Bardstown Road Farmer's Market offers something for everyone and they hope you will shop and stop by to see what makes the Farmer's Market a thriving Louisville institution that the whole family can enjoy. More information is at bardstownroadfarmersmarket.com, and it's this Saturday and every Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon at Deer Park Baptist Church, 1733 Bardstown Road. Also, this Sunday, 10.30 a.m. to noon at First and Broadway, it's the weekly Hip Hop Cares Outreach Event and Mobile Resource Center. Hip Hop Cares serves between two and 300 members of our community who are experiencing hunger and who are houseless, and they need you and would love more volunteer involvement. There are several ways you can help. If you'd like to make food for their Sunday of Serve events, they would love it. Volunteers prepare meals and place them in the to-go container and bring them to First and Broadway on Sundays around 10.45 a.m. If you or your group would like to volunteer to help out with the Sunday serve, everyone is welcome. They start setting up about 10.30 and serve at 11. They'd love to see you. If you'd like to bring a donation, you can always. they can always use water, travel-sized toiletries, and individually packaged snacks. You can also just drop off items you're able to donate, or a volunteer can arrange to pick them up from you. There's always a need for water and socks, snacks, and soft fruit. Uh, underwear, Kroger, and other grocery store gift cards, toiletries, and basic necessities. In fact, their uh, weekly mobile outreach event and mobile resource center are operating at full capacity with the cold weather here to stay. They're providing vital supplies to so many of our houseless neighbors, and they're going through supplies about as fast as they can get them in. They are especially in need of toiletries. You can ship items to them directly via their Amazon wish list that they have set up and you can find the link on their Facebook group or send a message if you have supplies to donate directly. As always, they are 100% grassroots and they aren't getting any money from the city so they rely on the love, support, and generosity of our compassionate community to continue this important work. Having supplies is important, but showing our fellow humans respect and treating them as part of our community is even more important. You can find more information and the link to register to volunteer or the link to their Amazon wish list to donate to the organization at facebook.com slash hip hop cares five zero two hip hop cares five oh two on Facebook. Also want to remind you that this Sunday and every Sunday, yes, and even on January first. It is 
Compost Church at the University of Louisville, the UofL Community Composting Volunteer Days every Sunday, noon to 2 p.m. throughout the year, no matter what the weather, at 250 East Bloom Street, one block north of Cardinal Boulevard between Brook and Floyd's. You can come help us turn trash into treasure as we manage UofL's volunteer-powered community composting operation. Dressed to get dirty, tools are provided. However, learn about worm composting, and all participants are welcome to haul back home some rich UofL compost for your own gardening projects in whatever containers or vehicles you bring. It's a weekly service opportunity throughout the year, and you can learn more about it at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also, a competing event every Sunday at noon is Bikes, Cruise, and Brews, which rolls out of Logan Street Market at noon. Biking through Louisville with a community partner, Bikes, Cruise, and Brews is a great way to meet new folks, and they welcome all biking levels with different routes each week. Rollout occurs every Sunday at noon for a low-stress cruise with local brewery stops along the way, returning to Logan Street Market around 3 p.m. More information is at bikescruiseandbrews.com. Hey, and now we've got time for some ideas about New Year's resolutions. Well, what if 2023 was the year you really committed to organic agriculture? Whether you're a producer or a consumer, there's a role for you. And the Organic Association of Kentucky invites you to their annual conference to learn more and get involved. It's coming up January 26th to 28th at Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky. You can register now for Oak's 12th annual conference. Uh, the Oak Conference is a not-to-miss event featuring Kentucky farmers, production deep dives, research highlights, food system innovations, market opportunities, and the expanding Oak, ne- Oak Network for three days of learning and growing together. It's open to everyone. Register today and join the Oak community in January at KSU's Research and Demonstration Farm in Frankfurt. Uh, scholarships are also available, and the theme is Rooted in Resilience, Growing Healthy Soils and Opportunities for Kentucky Organics. The conference includes a growing audience of hundreds of Kentuckians and neighbors active in community food systems, farmers, researchers, nonprofit p- professionals, federal and state agency partners, allied service providers, and conscious consumers working collectively to build a local, resilient, and healthy food system. You can enjoy keynotes, farm tours, over 30 sessions, and six half-day pre-conference workshops on topics including year-round salad greens, nutrient budgeting, forest farming, marketing, funding opportunities for Kentucky farms, and maximizing high tunnels. You can learn more and register today at oak-ky.org. All right, that's one possible New Year's resolution. But what if in 2023 you wanted to commit to composting and you don't have to even do it yourself? If you don't have a yard or space or don't want to handle it yourself, you can always join the Louisville Compost Co-op. Join the only residential collection service in Louisville that will pick up and compost your food scraps and organic waste. For just $20 per month, residential members receive a weekly bucket pickup and drop-off at their home, as well as access to the quality compost produced by their own food scraps and the peace of mind that comes with diverting your food waste from a landfill where it would otherwise produce methane, a supercharged greenhouse gas, contributing to the greatest crisis facing humanity, the global climate crisis. 
In their first year, the Louisville Compost Co-op collected over 10,000 pounds of food waste. We want to up that. Join them at louisvillecompost.com. Or you can dump your compost for free at their site. It's at the U of L Community Composting Site, 250 East Bloom Street. It's a large lot used for U of L grounds and maintenance work, and the compost bin is at the back of the lot. Details on how to join are at LouisvilleCompost.com. All right, another possible New Year's resolution for you in 2023. What if you committed to food justice and opening? The first cooperative, community-owned grocery store right in the heart of our city, just a few blocks from us here at Ford Radio in beautiful Smoketown. You can join the Louisville Community Grocery. It started way back in 2015 when a small group of community members and food justice advocates concerned about the loss of downtown grocery stores and the lack of access to fresh, healthy food came together with a mission to open a community-owned store. They began exploring the possibility of a cooperative grocery to serve Louisville's urban neighborhoods. What started as a shared belief turned into a mission to open a community-owned store through a cooperative business model. We've worked with community members, U of L, and neighborhood organizations to research potential locations and services for the community grocery. We've held community events and begun outreach campaigns to educate the community about cooperatives in general. Today, we're still working hard towards our goal of opening that store. We have land. We have a place to open it. We have millions of dollars. The only thing we need you is more. The only thing we need is more owners and more volunteers helping make it happen. So you can join the Louisville Community Grocery today. Households, individuals, and local businesses can all become co-owners of the grocery to help us open the doors to food justice right here in downtown Louisville. Standard lifetime ownerships cost just $150, and if you have economic barriers to ownership, you can choose to pay in five installments, or if you're a senior over 65, a youth under 25, if you're unemployed, disabled, or a SNAP user, or you're systemically disadvantaged, you can always purchase a subsidized Advantage share for a one-time payment of just $25, no questions asked. Advantage shares have all the same benefits of ownership as the standard price shares. You can learn more, become a member, sign up to volunteer today at louisvillecommunitygrocery.com. Well, here's another New Year's resolution. How about sharing tools? The Louisville Tool, Tool Library is opened, and it's a new library in town to support and patronize the Louisville Tool Library over on Logan Street in Shelby Park had its grand opening on July 1st. It's a community-based 501c3 nonprofit lending library dedicated to accessibility of resources, waste reduction, and growth through education. Operating similarly to a traditional book-filled library, members of the Louisville Tool Library are able to borrow household items such as gardening gear, sewing machines, drills, painting supplies, shovels, and more. You can learn all about it and show your support. You can become a member. You can donate tools. You can donate volunteer time. Learn about it all at louisvilletoollibrary.com. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in today and throughout 2022. I look forward to being back in your ears again next week in a new year here on Forward Radio. Be well, everybody. Happy New Year. Bye.